Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 38. I'm Scott Davenport. Today's topic is three lesser used composition tips for your landscape photos. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be back for another chat about photography, this shared passion of ours. And today's episode, we're going to take one more step. The topic is composition. And this topic bubbled to the surface for me while I was studying some of my older landscapes, going through older photos in my library. Seems like a fine topic for a podcast to me, so let's talk about it. If you enjoy today's podcast, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, with your camera club, and if you can, please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. We've got a couple of new ratings in the past week or so. Thank you very much to those that left feedback. Current ratings really help the show help keep it on the radar for other photographers to find and join us each week. All right, the topic at hand, composition. Composition was one of the more challenging aspects of photography for me early on. It took a lot of effort, continued trial and error, experimentation. I think more than the average photographer needs to spend on composition. At least that's how it felt to me. I really struggled with it and had to work hard to improve my eye for composition in my photography. So the composition of a photo is something I'm paying extra attention to. It's not uh, automatic for me. It's not complete and total muscle memory. So I'm reviewing these older photos in my library, and I saw the common compositional patterns, rule of thirds, layers, foreground, midground, background, leading lines, using the corners, I also noticed a couple that I think are less commonly used in landscape photos, and I remembered a field technique that helped me refine my eye for making stronger compositions. So that's what we'll go through today. Three lesser used composition tips for your landscape photos. Two of the tips are actual composition of the photo, how the elements in your frame interact with one another and with your viewer. The third tip is a field technique to help you start seeing compositions before you press the shutter. So let's get to it. Tip number one, implied leading lines. I'm sure you are familiar with leading lines. One element has a cut through in the scene and it leads to another subject. Could be a ridge line of mountains cutting diagonals into a frame, cracks in rocks, swirls in water, whatever it is that's drawing your viewer into the frame. A gentle S curve of a winding forest road. The list goes on and on and on. There is another kind of leading line, and I'll call it an implied leading line. It's implied because there's no physical line. There's no physical subject that's creating the connection between objects in the frame. Instead, it's a psychological line. It's something us humans fill in, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. A classic example of an implied line is a person looking at something else in the frame. So let's imagine a valley, a stretch of plains, perhaps some mountains in the background, Now imagine a hero figure in the foreground, let's say in the lower left corner of the scene, perhaps to give a sense of scale. The hero's back is kind of to us, but the profile of her face is visible. She's looking into the scene toward the mountains, 
the viewer will instinctively look where the hero looks. An implied line is created between the hero and the mountain range. Now, many of our landscape photos don't have a person in them, but we can have a subject where a person might normally be. Here's another scenario. Imagine a chair on the beach. The chair is empty. There are no people walking the beach. There aren't even footprints in the sand. The chair is on the left, facing toward the right. On the right side of the frame is a group of rocks. Now, what happens when your viewer looks at this photo? Most often, the viewer mentally sits down in the chair and then looks in the direction the chair is facing. In my example, they look at the rocks. There's an implied line made between the chair and the rocks. How the chair is positioned in relationship to another subject in the frame connects the two. This taps into a bit of human psychology, uh, common patterns in our thinking, and it works with a lot of subjects. When we look at photos, we will subconsciously sit down in benches, swings, or chairs in a photo. We look in the same direction that a person is looking in the frame. If there's a vehicle in the frame, our eyes want to move in the direction the vehicle is going, and it doesn't even have to be in motion. Something as simple as a stationary bicycle or a wagon, that does the trick. Landscape photographers can use this, use this bit of human psychology to connect subjects in a scene, to provide a visual pathway through an image. So tip number one, find and use implied leading lines to connect the elements in your photo. Tip number two, composing open versus closed spaces. This is a technique that I didn't realize I was using at first, and once I understood what was going on, it made sense. So what do I mean, open versus closed? Let's start with an open composition. An open composition invites the viewer to wander, explore the frame, maybe even think beyond what is in the photograph. For example, you have probably seen photos of the Palouse area of Washington State in the USA rolling, undulating hills that seem to go on forever. The subject is the entire frame. It invites the viewer to travel the hills and mentally go beyond what is in the picture. Go on to that next hill that you can't actually see. Another example could be a pasture extending from the foreground through the midground. There's a, a mountain range or a barn or something in the background. Now imagine a fence in the foreground but there's a gap in the fence or an open gate. It's an invitation to the viewer to walk into the scene. This could even be considered an implied leading line or at least an implied pathway into the scene. I photograph a lot of seascapes, and a technique that I'll use often is to include gaps between foreground rocks so the ocean is flowing freely among them and the viewer can see that, composed to make sure I can see the separation of those rocks, because mentally it invites the viewer to wade or kayak or sail in and among the rocks, and then gaps at the horizon where the ocean meets the horizon just goes on into the beyond that makes the ocean accessible, available to explore. So open compositions, these invite the viewer to wander. It delivers a feeling of endlessness. The scene conveys the expanse of the world. 
Now a closed composition prompts the viewer to remain in the frame. Now we always want our viewer to stay in our frame as long as possible. With a closed composition, there's attention focused to a singular subject. A closed composition has secondary elements, but they're trying to return the viewer to that primary subject. For example, an image you have likely seen is Multnomah Falls in the Columbia Gorge in Oregon. This is a symmetrical setup, an arched bridge that spans these land masses on either side of this tall, rushing waterfall. And on the bridge, we have a single person. Let's have them wear a red jacket for good measure. The person appears small in the frame, and rightly so. The falls are tall, they tower over a person, so we have that sense of scale. That's the subject to have the viewer focus on. The waterfall is context, as is the bridge. And in a closed composition, those land masses coming in from the left and right side of the edges are pushing the eye into the center. There may not even be any sky in the frame. The top of the waterfall is not visible. It doesn't need to be for that type of photo. The human mind will know waterfalls flow from top to bottom. Our brains fill that in. All the emphasis, all the energy of that photo is drawing toward the person on the bridge. Another example of a closed composition could be a mountain lake. The lake is surrounded by peaks, the waters reflecting the clouds. The tops of the peaks might be visible, but pushed toward the upper edge of the frame. There's a little bit of sky, but it's minimized. The emphasis is on the lake. The eyes keep coming back down to the mountain lake. It's closed composition. I'm not asking the viewer to wander beyond the edges of the frame. Just come back to, let's say, that peaceful, calm, relaxed mountain scene. Singular subjects emphasized by negative space is another series of examples. The draw in this setup is the subject. And I did an entire podcast on negative space, episode 30. If you missed that one, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can go check it out. But a closed composition, this feels more stable. It's more grounded. The viewer is really encouraged to stay in the frame and have a deeper look at the scene and subjects that are being presented. And the compositional elements are trying to bounce that viewer's eye back to a primary subject. So tip number two is be aware of open versus closed compositions. They both have their place and both can deliver powerful photographs. And which one you choose kind of depends on the subject and the feeling you want to deliver. Do you want to deliver uh, the vast, the expanse, the invitation to wander? Or do you want to deliver a more measured, stable scene that asks the viewer for deeper, longer thought? All right, so tip number one, implied leading lines. Tip number two, composing with open versus closed spaces. Tip number three is a field technique. It's purposely blurring your focus to compose. Now this, this one's uh, this was interesting. It was very helpful when uh, I was developing my eye for composition. And it's still a technique I'll use when I'm struggling with a particular scene. And it's really simple to do. You're out with your camera, 
rotate your focus ring and throw the scene out of focus. Now, not crazy wild out of focus. You don't want the scene to be a blurred mess or just a big bunch of bokeh balls, but somewhat out of focus. And what happens is the major compositional elements in a scene are still discernible. You'll see, yeah, that's basically a tree. This is basically a rock. That's basically a mountain. That's basically water. The light and the shadow were still there. These areas are dark. These areas are light. You might start to see lines you might not have seen before, where it's lines of light and shadow, or different tones of colors, you know, maybe different hues of yellow and green through grasses. You can compose just using the shapes, those different tonalities, and you're less distracted by specific subjects. And it can help visualize the interaction among these rough, basic elements in your scene. They're out of focus, so you're not overly conscious of this flower is here, this rock is there, this mountain is over here, the ocean is doing this. It's uh, subdued, and you can just think a little more abstractly and see different shapes, different interactions that you might not see when everything is in crisp focus. Now, once you have that composition, do get your scene back in focus. You don't want to be capturing blurry, out-of-focus shots. And as I mentioned, I use this technique less now that my eye has become more trained for composition, but it's still useful when I'm struggling with a location, something that's just proving difficult to compose. Turn the focus ring, throw everything a little bit out of focus, and just look through the viewfinder or look at the EVF, look at the back of your camera, and just compose using those rough shapes, those rough tones. And yes, I suppose you can do this in post-processing as well. You know, throw a blur filter on there and refine your composition with a crop. But I really prefer this as a field technique. Corrections to composition in post, they can only go so far. So you really want to get those correct in camera, on location, and leave the post-processing to more post-processing, not trying to fix up a bad comp. So those are the three tips I've got for you to recap them. Number one, look for and use implied leading lines. Number two, think about open versus closed compositions. And number three, purposely blur your focus to develop your compositional eye. Give these a try. Add them to your composition toolkit and you'll make stronger photos. A bit of studio news this week. At the top of the episode, I mentioned I have been reviewing older photos. And for the most part, this is normal activity for me. From time to time, I revisit my older work and sometimes it's work I like. I review it to see where I've been, where am I now, you measure my growth as a photographer. And other times, it's to work with photos I've just not done anything with. I'm looking for something to work on. I'm looking for something for a project, maybe starting up a new project. And admittedly, I'm making less photographs right now because of the pandemic, so I'm scouring my library more and more to find different photos to work with, and I talked about that a few weeks ago in episode 34. But my, my, my point here is, when I sit down to post-process a photo, 
I start with an image assessment. I make a few mental notes, what's working, what needs adjustment, what's problematic, and the notes can be about composition. It could be about tonality in the image. It could be a certain style or treatment that I want to try. And anyway, for one of these photos, I decided to do a compositional markup on it. And you can see this over at stopdownpodcast.com with a few notes I made about the photo. And if you're part of the Patreon community, I made a brief video of the image assessment as well. So check your Patreon feed. You'll find the post and you'll hear more of the stream of consciousness and the thought process I'm going through as I'm assessing that image and deciding in what direction I want to take it. I found that to be interesting that image assessment has become second nature for me, so I thought I'd share it with you, and I'd like to hear if you find this interesting as well. Check the post for this episode on stopdownpodcast.com, share your thoughts with me in the comments, or if you want to keep it private, use the contact form on the site and the messages come directly to me. I'd like to take a moment and thank the members of our Patreon community. I cannot express my gratitude enough. It is your support that makes this podcast possible, and you're helping thousands of other photographers enjoy their photography. You're supporting this podcast as well as supporting the other free tutorials I'm doing on YouTube, articles on the website, and what is even better is that you're always there. I'll throw out an idea on Patreon and say, you know, what do you think about this? Here's something I found that was interesting. And you've got great ideas and great feedback. And I like that we're all helping each other with our photography. We're all learning together. If you're interested in learning more about the Patreon community, check the show notes. There's a link there. And there's also a support the show button on every page of stopdownpodcast.com where you can learn more. And that will wrap up this week's episode. I hope you enjoy the composition tips. I hope you put them to good use. Take a look at some of your older photos. You might find that you're using some of these and maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe it's that image where, wow, this image really works and I never quite could put my finger on why. Maybe it's one of these compositional techniques. And once again, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. And if you can, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, my name is Scott Davenport. Have fun. Mm-hmm.